Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And it says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David. Everybody say, to the city of David. It was the city of David. You're going to see that a couple times throughout the verses I'm about to read. Which is called Bethlehem, because it was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And verse seven is why I'm here. It says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now watch this. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Everybody say there was no room. Come on, say that again. There was no room. At the beginning of the month, I started reeling in my heart. You know, I have to say this. This is, I don't know why God chose my wiring to be this way, but if I'm not careful during the holidays, you'll, I'll be preaching about the rapture or something like that. Like I have to really pay attention to dates because I often bring serious messages. I'm part pastor and I'm part apostolic. I never used to know what that word apostolic meant. I don't have time to explain it this morning. You can kind of look it up. Meaning pastors, they have a tendency to comfort the brokenhearted. And, but me, I kind of am one of those ones who disturb the comforted. I, I, think, I think we're in days and times where we need to be disturbed out of our pew and get to work and do something for the kingdom. And so this, this December, I wanted to be a little creative. But more than that, as I said when I was praying, I want to know that what I'm speaking is the oracles of God, what God is actually saying. I think that the Holy Spirit has no problem with creativity. I love lights and ambiance, and I love excellence more than just about anybody. But I would rather have the presence of the Lord and the word of the Lord. Come on. I'd I'd rather have a couple of hundred people who who care about thus saith the Lord than just a little sermon that's gonna bring me comfort in a season when I need to be disturbed and provoked. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And so as I was sitting and I was meditating, I'm like, Lord, you know I do not like series. I've probably preached one series and I've been preaching the gospel since I'm I'm 35, I'll be 36, right? This month. I'll be 36 this month. but in all the years I've been ministering, ministering, I think I've preached one series. 
And so I said, Lord, what do you really want to, what are you saying to your people? What are you saying to the church? And there are some times I go to church and, you know, you hear a global message, which is great. But then there's those times when you kind of need something personal too. And, and I believe that this message kind of addresses both. It's very applicable to us personally and where we're at in our own relationship with Jesus, but it also addresses where we need to go as a church and where we need to go globally. So last week, um, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this title, which I, th I thought was pretty cool. You may not. It was called Pursuing Presence, T-S. So, sorry, C-E-S, excuse me, not T-S. Not the presence like under a tree, but presence meaning the presence of the Lord. And we kind of delve into the story about the wise men and what they did and what they had to go through in order to get to God's presence, C-E-S. Uh, the Bible says for, you, those, for those of you who aren't here that they were from the east. Everybody say the east. And if they were from the east, that means they would have to travel really far. Now, biblically, that would mean they were about four. Can I teach you just for a second this morning? That would mean they were about 400 miles away. Now, these guys didn't have... Um, Bentleys and Mercedes to drive. These guys went through tough terrain. And not only that, they went through hillsides, they went through deserts, they had to travel really far in order to get to Jesus to pursue his, come on, presence. Everybody say presence. It took a long time to get there, especially if they had to follow a star, which means they didn't travel by day, they traveled by night. And so last week's message was really about pursuing God's presence and the importance of pursuing his presence even in the midst of difficult seasons when you don't see God moving in your life, when you don't feel his presence, when you're not aware of him, when it doesn't look like he's at work in your life. And we talked about the results of pursuing his presence. And so I want to kind of segue into this new message. Today's message is entitled, Presence is the Gift. Come on, look at somebody and say, presence is the gift. I was asked in the green room. I wasn't prepared for this. And I love this guy. And, and, and I love being asked questions, especially on the spot. So I was talking about the, present, the, the, the importance of the presence of the Lord. Now, really, in your mind, you know, what does that mean? He said, what does that look like? And it kind of provoked me in a way. And I thought to myself, I was wrecked early on as a young believer. Now, thank God, yes, I did grow up going to church, but when I really got converted, I was, I was in my late teens, and I had an encounter with the Lord, and it wasn't in the front of a pulpit. And I had a real encounter, and the reason why I say it wrecked me in a really good way is because my DNA from the start was that knowing God is not a God of just services. He is a God of the supernatural. He is a God who likes to reveal his presence to his people. And can I tell you, I've been to hundreds of different services, and yet there's only a few that really stood out to me where I actually seen the presence of the Lord moving among his people. And I went on to say, well, let me just kind of define the difference between church and presence. Ch church is when we come and we hear a, a little message, we'll sing three songs, but there's no real awareness of God in the room. And then I've been to services where the presence of God was so thick that it ministered to me more than the message did. And I couldn't tell you what the preacher said. I couldn't tell you what the female worship sing leader was singing, but I remember there was a distinct awareness of God's presence, and there were things that I walked in 
in my, I walked with in my life that when I walked out, I was free. I was set free. There was a real change. There was a real transformation. And can I tell you, we are at a pivotal point in the church of Jesus Christ right now. And I believe that God is allowing things to get tough so that we pursue him once again. I think there's awareness, there's this an awakening happening in the church of Jesus Christ that says, you know what, we can't do Sundays usual anymore. We need the power of God to begin to move in our lives. We need the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ moving in our services like never before. I didn't say that we should be practicing weird things. That, that now, now it, like I said in a, a couple services ago, if you fall down in this church, I have no problem with people shouting. I have no problem with people even shaking. But once you get up off that floor, there better be evidence that you had a true encounter with God. We don't want weirdness. We want a true move of the Holy Spirit. And a true move of the Holy Spirit produces fruit in the individual's life. But if all you're doing is shaking every time you come to service and you still cuss out your spouse when you get home, that's not an encounter with the Lord. That's an encounter with the flesh. And so we want to begin to pursue God in such a way where his presence enriches our lives in such a deep, unique way that when people encounter you, they can sense God's presence in your life. Do you know why the enemy fell? Can I just take a little bunny trail really quick? The reason the devil fell, it's in Isaiah. And it talks about, oh, Lucifer, how you've fallen from heaven. And it begins to give this great description on how he was dressed. He was the angelique of heaven. He was dressed in timbrels. He was dressed with flutes and harps and different diamonds all over his garments. But as he was spending time in God's presence, he was spending time around light, he began to think he was the light. Because what you spend time around, you begin to take upon that nature. So when we spend time in God's presence and we pursue his presence passionately, guess what you become a carrier of? If you're around somebody who smokes cigarettes, now look just straight ahead if you're a smoker in here. Now everybody in the room knows that you smoke and you think you just you covered it up with perfume or you covered it up with cologne, but everybody else knows when you are a true follower of Jesus and you spend time with him and people get around you, people know. People can sense it. People are aware of it. Everything that you say is not just words. It carries weight. So when you spend time with Jesus, when a, when a, when a, when a spouse spends time with Jesus, they don't need necessarily that other spouse to change. But when you focus on going to get changed, God's presence through your life begins to bring change and transformation where you are. I know I'm not going to get too many claps out of that because it puts responsibility on you spending time with God's presence. But I'm talking about what we need to do as a church if we're going to truly see change, if we're truly going to see demons cast out. Come on, if we're truly gonna become the, the son or the daughter that God calls us to be, we have to spend time in his presence until his presence envelops us and changes us. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And so that's the importance of God's presence. And I begin to share with this individual that in the Hebrides revival, who's ever heard of the Hebrides revival? It was the Isle of Lewis um, near the Mediterranean there was about 6,000 people on this island, and they were backslidden. All they had was religion. They didn't have relationship. But then all of a sudden, through God's sovereignty, he begins to move all over this island, and people begin, begin to get changed and transformed. And now this is recorded. 
that 75% of the people who had never even been to the church got saved before they got there. I'm talking about God's presence. And the thing is, is you can be where God is and not get what God has. You can be around him and not be touched by him. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. You can sit in a church pew on Sunday morning. You can wear the necklace. You can have the bumper sticker. You can quote the scriptures. You can be around him, but him not be in you. Or his presence not be enveloping your life. And so we have to get past this churchianity into a passionate pursuit with Jesus where we see him alive and active in our lives. How many want that? I mean, really want that to have evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. I begin to think about this. You're probably wondering what in the world does Luke chapter two have to do with God's presence? I believe it has everything to do with his presence. As a matter of fact, last minute I was looking at this verse and uh, I was thinking about it last night as a matter of fact. And I thought to myself, why in the world would God choose Bethlehem out of anywhere he could have in Jerusalem or in the nation of Israel? Why would he choose Jerusalem? Right outside of Jerusalem, five miles away, was the little town called Bethlehem. Why would he choose a little stable in the middle of nowhere to send his only begotten son into that city? Why was that city so special? But then I begin to read verses in Luke where it says this, Joseph also went up from the city of Galilee to the, from the city of Nazareth into, into Judea. Watch this. To the city of David. Everybody say the city of David. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. And then I read Luke chapter 2, verse 10 as we go south a little bit. And it says this. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 10 through 12, and it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is one to you born this day in the city of David. Everybody say, in the city of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. How many have heard that before? One reason why God chose in his sovereignty for Jesus to be born, I believe the Holy Spirit breathed this into my heart last night, is because David was a worshiper and a pursuer of his presence. You say, where's that at in the Bible, preacher? David's first act as king was to return the presence. Before he did anything else, he said, I'm not going to build a church. I'm not going to build a kingdom. Come on. I'm not going to build a family apart from God's presence. What the nation needs right now is not to restore just policy and procedure. The United States of America needs to restore its Judeal Christian values, but it's got to be founded and rooted and soaked and saturated in the presence of God. So I believe in God's sovereignty as the Holy Spirit spoke to me, the reason I chose to be birthed in that city is because I am, and he's going to return again, but just in a different form, not in a manger. He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to put his foot down, but he's going to come in a different form. But I believe that the reason that he chose Bethlehem was because it was from the very city his presence got ushered into. It's where he was welcomed you think your family needs counseling? 
and maybe it does. And I say that often. You think maybe you need to increase your finances and maybe you do. But wherever there is lack in your life, what I have found is that wherever God's presence is, anything that's out of line with this has to straighten up. Oh, you don't believe me? I used to sleep on the floor for 20 years. I'm 35 years old. But I remember just walking around that bed and saying, Lord, I don't need finances. I just need your presence. And so the things that I begin to do, God begin to breathe on them with his presence. I don't know about you, but I've read, and I believe it's Isaiah, those who are planted by the rivers of living water, their roots will not wither. Even in the seasons of drought, it won't wither. Your leaf will remain green. It will thrive. All I'm trying to say is whatever is out of line in your life, if you get the presence of God breathing on that thing, that thing has to straighten up. That thing has to align. Come on. Come on. That deserves a better clap than that. Come on. How many are hungry for God's presence in this season of your life? So the, so the reason God chose to be born in Bethlehem in the city of David is because, and if you think about this, this is, we're talking about a thousand years before. That's when David reigned. Why would the Bible even be so habitual in mentioning this is the city of David? This is the city of David. Like what earthly relevance is there to the son of God being born and then the mentioning the son of David? But the Bible has a way of dropping little notes, dropping little breadcrumbs to get you to think about what you're reading. And as I begin to think, the Holy Spirit begin to breathe on it and say, I will begin to move in areas of your life if you simply bring back the ark. The ark was the preceding factor before Jesus would be born 1,000 years later. What you do right now will affect generations to come. Hallelujah. However your prayer life is right now, whatever choices you make, the, the choices that David made 1,000 years before preceded generations. 14 generations, I believe that's, if someone may want to coin me on that, one of you theologians out there. 1,000 years. So whatever you're doing right now matters. Your prayers right now matter. Your fasting and seeking God matters. You living for him right now matters because it might not be you who gets the sees the promised land. It may not even be your children. I pray it does, but maybe it's your children's children's children. Come on. How many are generational thinkers in here? What you do right now can affect eternity. So there's two things I want to highlight in this message. Is everybody okay this morning? Come on. I'm just building some framework here. Is number one, I want to highlight the fact that there was no room in the end. Number one, there was no room for Jesus. And number two, I want to draw a highlight around the fact that the Bible overstates that this was the city of David. Now, when I think about David, and I believe that the Lord highlighted that for a reason, and I begin to think, I felt like the Lord said, look at David's life. What does David represent? Why is there this need to mention that this is the city of David over and over? First of all, David was a shepherd. Come on, where was Jesus born at? Come on, talk to me this morning. Where was Jesus born at? In a manger, in a stable. He was in a horse stable. Where do shepherds store their stock. Come on, think with me this morning, church. In a stable, David was a worshiper. David was a warrior. He was a king. He was a warrior. Come on, remember when he, would, he slung his rock toward Goliath and killed Goliath? He was a warrior. And, and, and most importantly for me, as I just mentioned a minute ago, he restored the Ark of the Covenant, meaning the presence of God. Everybody say the presence of God. Anytime you ever hear the Ark of the Covenant, that was basically where the Ten Commandments were broken. They were thrown down by Moses. 
They were broken. He put the Ten Commandments in there as, long, as well as some other elements. But there was a tangible presence that dwelt over the Ark of the Covenant. So anytime you hear the Ark of the Covenant, it's a representation of the presence of God. And so years later, this Ark would eventually be, uh, it would be stolen and the presence of God would be taken away supposedly and it would never return. But God, everybody say, but God. But God is faithful, which by the way, you know, Bethlehem means, means house or house of bread. I want you to remember that. So he was going to return to his house, but he wasn't going to come in the form of the Ark of the Covenant. His presence was going to come in the form of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It wasn't going to be wrapped in an ark. It was going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Come on, somebody say amen. But there was only one problem with Jerusalem. There was no room in the inn. There was no room because the house was full. Is your house full this morning? It's not that God's presence wasn't there. There was a lot of people in Jerusalem. It says there was a census taking place. There was a lot of people flocking and gathering, but they missed them because their house was full. Now, one may think, if I was in Bethlehem, I would make room for Jesus. I wouldn't say my house was full. You know, these were religious people. These people were in church every Sunday. These people went through the religious rhetoric. As a matter of fact, most of them can quote the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. But they missed him because they, they, they had room in their mind. Come on, you know where they wore the scriptures, the Pharisees and Sadducees? They wore it on their brow. They wore it on their forehead. It was in their mind, but it wasn't in their, it wasn't in their heart. So Jerusalem has this great momentous moment where the child of God is born, the son of God is born, the presence of the Lord from the throne room of God is sent into a little manger outside of a city of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And they miss him because the house was full. Last week I mentioned, um, what is it? It isn't funny. Uh, it's funny how God spoke to the the men in the east. In other words, he stepped over people who were in Jerusalem and spoke to foreign people. The Bible doesn't say they were priests. And he stepped over church people, in other words. He stepped over church people because they wanted his presence more than, than the church did. And so God steps over, he speaks to three wise men, and he also speaks to some shepherd. But notice that these are all unchurched people, people who are ready for something more. People who are done with Sunday's supposed best, done with going through the motions. And God speaks to some foreigners, not because they were rich, not only because they were rich. The Bible says that these could have been wealthy men. They were wise men, but because they were hungry for his presence. You know how I know he was, they were hungry for his presence? You can hardly get people to drive 20 minutes to church anymore, James. These people had to get on their feet, on their camels, and go 400 miles on foot in pursuit of God's presence. You know who God likes to show up to? People who are willing to pursue him no matter the cost, no matter how much it takes. It doesn't matter what it costs them. They are willing to passionately pursue him and pursue his presence no matter the cost. And so as I mentioned this, it wasn't because they were wise, but it was because they had room. Look at somebody and say, do you have room this morning? Do you have room for his presence? Come on, do you have room for his power in your life? You know, one thing I respected about Catherine Kuhlman, she wasn't 
Don't strike me, Lord. She wasn't necessarily a great preacher, but she carried his presence. When she walked into the room, it wasn't as if it was Catherine. As a matter of fact, Catherine kind of looked half dead in many senses. That's because she was. And I don't say this offensively. I see her as a pinnacle of an example of a life well lived, of someone who could say like Paul did. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. She was a carrier of God's glory. And what her preaching couldn't do, God made up for it in his presence. Healings took place. Great manifestations. Not weird. I'm talking about powerful signs and wonders because the presence of the Lord was in the house. As I think about this, I think about how many people, as I just mentioned, were in Bethlehem at that time, celebrating different things and, of course, going to fill out the senses to validate the fact that they were from there. The king wanted to register them. But think about how many people were there right around Jesus and yet completely unaware of him. I have seen services where the Holy Spirit is moving on dozens of people and there are those few who remain untouched. Reinhard Bonnke calls them asbestos Christians. Fireproof Christians. That's what asbestos is. They used to use it in old houses. If you understand construction, they would use asbestos so if the house caught fire, it could only go beyond a certain point. In other words, they were not flammable. They were fireproof. This is what Reinhardt says. And so there were people in Jerusalem who were around Jesus and yet left unscathed by his presence. God, far be it from us to be a church and to be a people who are around your presence yet remaining untouched. And do you know, I believe that there are so many different people in here, but I believe that God wants to touch each and every one of you specific specifically, he wants to touch you uniquely. He wants you to be aware of his presence. Not in a way that makes you weird, but effective. Come on. In a way that draws you to him. Amen? And so they were all there and yet remained untouched. You can be in church and, be, and remain untouched. You know that? You can carry your Bible and quote the scriptures and remain untouched and unscathed and even unmoved by the Holy Spirit. Because it all has to do with the condition of the heart. That's why God can be moving on your neighbor and not be touching you. It depends on the condition of your heart. One person can be being touched and getting revelation, and the other person is left untouched because God doesn't force himself on nobody. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but you got to make room. Somebody say, make room. The Bible said that there was no room in the end. Let me ask you this morning, is there room for his presence this holiday season in your heart? Is there room in your family? Are there some people you got to forgive that are hindering the presence of God moving in your life? There's nothing that will squelch nor quench the presence of God like an unforgiving heart. Is there room in your heart? Is there an addiction in your life? Is there a habitual sin? I'm not saying you have to stop this on your own because the, 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 the presence of the Lord is not repelled by your weakness. He's actually attracted to it. He wants to help you, but he just wants an open heart. He's just looking for room. Come on, somebody say, make room. 
Make room in your mind. Make room in your heart. Make room in your family. Make room by forgiving some people you may have to forgive this holiday season. Whatever it takes to get the presence of God back in your life, make room. Come on, say make room. If we're going to make room in the end, we have to make room in our worship. People wonder, why do you guys linger? We're making room. We're making room. After 20 years, I'm tired of three points in a sermon and three worship songs. I'm trying to make room. <laughs> I realize I'm very aware of my weaknesses and my frailties. I'm worshiping in his presence so I can make room. Because I know I've seen what my sermons get done and I've seen what he gets done in his presence. We're making room. Look at somebody and say, make room. Watch what Matthew chapter two says in verse 11. And I read this last week and it says, and this is the wise men. It says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child Mary and his mother and they bowed down or they fell down and worshiped him. They were making room. They made room. Everybody say, make room. Can I tell you singing is different than worshiping? You can sing the songs and not be worshiping. You can sing the songs and have the game on your mind. You can sing the songs and, thinking, and think about the loads of laundry you have at home. Come on, let me make it practical for somebody. You can sing the songs and think about how aggravated you are at your spouse because of an argument on your way to church. I don't know about you, but I don't have time to hold nothing against nobody because when I come in here, I'm going to be like the wise men. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to bow down and get my heart right, to get my worship right, because when he shows up, everything changes. Come on. I thought about these wise men. They were sophisticated. Somebody say sophisticated. I do this to keep you guys awake. And plus, I grew up in a gospel church, so that's probably both. They were sophisticated. They were wise men, which more than likely meant they had money. And if, and if you think about it, think about this with me. They go on this long journey, and I can only imagine what they had in their mind of where Jesus would be born. They were following a star. And then as they come over the hillside probably through the Kidron Valley somewhere. They run over the hillside, go through this, uh, this field full of sheep, and they see this little bitty tiny manger with this beautiful star hanging over it. And then they stop at this manger. You know, I know there's plenty of people who think that's all this is, just a manger. I know there's plenty of churches that got plenty of fog machines that we can't afford, lights that we can't afford, we may not have much to offer, but what we do have is his presence. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And I believe that we're going through this reformation to where people don't care about the, the, smoke, the smoke and the lights and the mirrors, the smoke and mirrors, I like to call them. We're done with trying to, trying to duplicate the presence of the Lord in the natural. We want the real thing. And can I tell you, these wise men had to sense the Lord's presence in the house for them to stop. Can you think about it? I can picture them in their robes of righteousness that they had with their, 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 their tassels lined with gold and they bowed down. We're not talking about they bowed down on a rug. They are in a manger. They are in 
a small little stable, which means horses used to be there. In other words, they didn't care what they had to bow down into as long as they got in his presence. They didn't care where they had to go. The temperature didn't have to be perfectly right. The lights didn't have to be perfectly right. The chairs didn't have to be perfectly lined up. They didn't have to be streaming in front of a million viewers. All they knew is that they wanted to get into the presence of the Lord no matter the cost. Come on, look at somebody and say, no matter the cost. Come on, look at somebody even if you have to look behind you and say, come on, say it. No matter the cost, we want his presence. No matter how far we have to go, we want his presence. No matter how long we have to linger in his presence before he shows up, we'll do what it takes. Amen? They cared more about the ambiance. Excuse me. They cared more about the presence than the ambiance. And that's where we have to get as a church. We have to care more about his presence than the decor. Come on, somebody say, we're going through a reformation here. Come on, we're going through a metamorphosis here. We want the real thing. We want the authentic gospel, real and alive. And we want the presence of the Lord to be the stamp of approval that we're in the center of his will. Worship experience. Are you kidding me? Can I talk about it? Worship experience. When I hear churches talk that way, especially season one, I expect it from Christians who've been saved for a year. A worship experience. You know what the Holy Spirit told me, and I told the team this before when I was about to, right when I was about to walk out of my office out before service. He said, the reason they don't experience me in worship is because I don't experience them. Now, 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 now watch this. They had to go to Jesus. I told you I'm here to disturb the comforted. They came to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to them. The wise men traveled 400 miles. It could have took a month or two to get to Jesus. Talking about lingering. We linger for 10, 10 minutes. They had to go 400 miles to Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to experience his presence and his power, but they had to go to him before he came to them. Come on, somebody talk to me this morning. And they bowed down, the Bible says, and they worshiped him. So one reason we don't experience God is because we really don't press. And there is a pressing in his presence. You know what Smith Wigglesworth said? He said, if I am not stirred by the spirit, I stir the spirit. So it's not us trying to work something up. But what we're doing is we're dying to self, wiping off self, fighting past self. And then there's a point that you get, if God's not going to move, you just, you know, you have to let it be and not, you know, begin to work in the flesh. But there has, there has to be a persistence in you. God has always rewarded persistence in the Bible. Think about the parable where the man was asking for bread. Jesus even said it himself, pursue me. And as much as you pursue me to that degree, I'll answer you. Come on. So to the, to the degree that we pursue him determines the level of his presence and power and work in our lives. So we have to go after him. We have to pursue him. We have to linger in his presence, no matter the cost. Amen? Amen. Because true worship, come on, songs don't bring it. True worship brings the presence of God. You know what the Bible says? That the eyes of the Lord... Search to and fro. 
throughout the earth. This morning, the Holy Spirit is looking for worshipers. He's looking and searching for hearts that are completely yielded to him. The Lord's been ministering to me about this word called yield. It's the only one word, singular word, that's ever made me cry. <laughs> yield. Somebody say yield. yield. Learning to yield to him. I'm not talking about yield with your feet and stop and stay still or yield like you would at a sign. I'm talking about yielding in your spirit, waiting on him, loving on him. Some of us love him but don't yield to him. I read this yesterday. It was a quote by Nathan Morris. It's on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook a ton, but I just happened to run across it. He said, the full, in order to get the fullness of God, you have to take little, it takes little steps of obedience to get the fullness. Just little steps of obedience. With that, what, the way I interpret that is little steps of yielding. Yielding. Little things that the Holy Spirit asks you to put away in your life or to stop doing, yield. You want the fullness of the Lord? We say we want the presence, but are we willing to yield? Are we willing to put away some things? Are we willing to change some things? Amen. I'm almost done. She said, don't be, don't, don't tempt me. Listen to this. Make room in your stable this morning. Somebody say, make room. Make room in your inn. <laughs> My wife, I think about this, uh, this past week. She loves animals. I mean, she's like Elmira. Do you guys who know who Elmira is? Well, Elmira is mean, but she, she doesn't mean to be mean. She just loves animals, and she grabs them. I want to hug you. I want to squeeze you. I want to... You remember Elmira? How many grew up in that era with Elmira? She, this is the little girl in a cartoon who loved animals. Was that Animaniacs or something like that when we were growing up? So every time she sees animals, I mean, on the side of the road, I mean, we could be driving literally on I-4. If she sees like a stable or something like that, we have to pull over and pet the horses and feed them carrots. I'm like, honey, you can't feed food. They may, not, they may be allergic to carrots. It's so true. As a matter of fact, this week, I'm on FaceTime. I said, yes, I'll get you a leopard gecko. She wants a leopard gecko. I'm like, oh, God, she's turning our house into Ace Ventura's house. We already have a cat and a dog. The other day, it was a couple months ago, the cat escaped, and I thought the Lord was answering my prayer. And um, it came back eight days later. So I got this leopard gecko. He's orange and red, and um, we named him Phoenix. Isn't that a cool name? He's beautiful, though. And, but the thing is, when we brought him home, she had to, she had to buy crickets, too. And crickets, they smell a little bit. And so she had to, she was like, how are we going to get them crickets? I just looked at her. I don't know. How are you going to get to pick up the crickets? So she got these little tweezers, looks like Mr. Miyagi when she's, you know, pulling out the, the crickets to feed him. Isn't it funny how people want the beauty of God, but don't want the dirty parts that they have to go through in order to get him? I went to this horse stable not that long ago. And as much as my wife loves animals, she's super sensitive to smell. Aren't you, honey? She smells like a mile away. She's got a bear nose. Like, 
And so there, it's putting off this aroma. And, and I was thinking how much that applies to this story that Jesus finds himself in, that these wise men find themselves in. Can you imagine the smell they had to endure to worship? What they had to kneel down in in order to worship him? I know, I know we picture right now, we picture like that shavings from, you, you know, uh, from, that you see in maybe a, like a tent revival. What are those shavings called? Like the cork, sawdust. All that sawdust, there was no sawdust there. Animals were previously there. They moved the animals out of there just so Jesus could move in there. Do you, do you know why I have found Jesus is not as alive and active as he wants to be in some people's lives? Because they think he's afraid of their stench. And actually, our stench doesn't repel him. Jesus was making a statement by desiring to be born in a manger. I'm not afraid of your stuff. Your stuff doesn't repel me. As a matter of fact, they attract me. Our weaknesses, come on, our weaknesses attract the Holy Spirit in our lives. They don't repel him. They draw him to us because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So actually, God only gets the glory when he works in weak parts of your life. That's why he doesn't save you out of your pride, because he wants you to feel weak first before he moves on your behalf. <laughs> so if we want the working of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to cover up from everybody all of our weaknesses. We need to get real before God in our stable and invite him in the stable. There was a statement that Jesus is trying to make by being born there. I am not afraid of your smell. I will get in the nitty, I will get down into the very slums of your problems and begin to heal and begin to deliver and begin to set free whatever area of your life is needed. You know, before David was ever a king, you know what he was? A shepherd. He was a shepherd. Imagine what the shepherds had to deal with. So this just all, all the more validates what I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. This was the reason God chose to be born in a stable in Bethlehem. This was one of the reasons. Because David was not only a worshiper, he was a shepherd. Come on. Is there room in your stable this morning? He dealt with sheep. He honored sheep. What's sheep? Lambs. The Bible says it like this, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The Bible calls Jesus the lamb of God. How fitting is it for the lamb to be born anywhere but a stable? After all, that's where they live, in stables, in fields. It says, behold the lamb of God. That's what John said. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I had a dream the other night and it shook me. And more and more, I've been, every time I say I'm, I'm not much of a dreamer, God begins to give me more and more dreams. And so the other day, I probably had the most profound dream I've ever, ever had in my life. And it was, it was because it was all tangible. I could, I could feel it. I, you, you know when you, feel, when you can smell and see in dreams? I, I, could sm I had all my senses were awakened in that dream. And, and I woke up literally as if my arm my hands were stuck in a 220 socket. I felt the power of the Lord all over me. I told this dream about two weeks ago. And sometimes as a, you know, you want to share personal things and then you're trying to figure out what, you know, what do you want me to share? What do you not want me to share? What's personal, Lord? What's public? What's for public? 
But I feel this is for the church, what I'm about to say, because this has everything to do with making room in your stable. And this is what the Lord reminded me of, this dream that I had recently. I sent it to a friend of mine, Tamaki, to interpret the dream. And she interpreted it, and it was absolutely spot on. And in this dream, I'm sitting with an evangelist, a local evangelist. He's a bit of a revivalist. You would know him if I mentioned his name. But the reason I'm not mentioning his name, because dreams are usually metaphoric. They're not literal. And so it doesn't matter what his name is. But I was, I was sitting with him and a well-known worship leader. If I said her name, you would know her name. But they both represented something in the dream. And, and all of a sudden, I'm beginning, we're just talking, we're enjoying each other's company. And all of a sudden, this gentleman that I'm speaking to, I'm telling him about an old dream that I had. It's when the Lord showed up in my dream. It was, it was a dream, but I seen Jesus' face. And in the dream, this minister that I'm talking to, he's weeping. In the dream, I can, I can feel his emotion. He's, he's crying his eyes out. And so is the worship leader. And he says, wait one minute. And, and as he, he says this, before he says, wait one minute, the presence of the Lord literally filled the entire room. I'm talking about the power, like you can sense there's a difference between presence and glory. I, I, I'm probably leaning more towards glory because you could hardly move in the dream. I could feel it in the, in the dream. I physically felt the presence of God on me. And he said, the presence of the Lord is here. And he steps out the front door of this apartment-like place and he comes back in. And this shook me out of my dream. He comes in carrying a lamb. It's a baby lamb with like hardly any fur. In the dream, I can smell this lamb. I feel the textures. It's a soft lamb. And he sits down in front of me. And I'm crying. He's crying. The worship leader, she's crying. And we're all sitting down. But the glory of the Lord is filling the room. And then after all these years, I think I thought I knew Jesus. And I believe I do. But there's degrees and depths that you begin to know him. But now I feel like I'm going through this metamorphosis and, and, and learning him and understanding him more. And so as I'm reminded of this verse of scripture when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I feel like Jesus is wanting us as a church, as God's people, to behold him as the Lamb of God. And not to just behold him as the Lamb of God, but embrace his presence. And, and you know what I believe why Ichabod has happened? Ichabod is a funny word of saying the Lord has departed. You know why I believe the presence of the Lord has left the church so much? It's because we've lost our view of the, of the Lamb of God. And, I, and I'm all for preaching about marriages. And I'm all for trendy things and you know, having different topics, cool topics at church. I'm, I'm all good with that, but we can never throw away. And the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God should never be put on a back burner. He shouldn't, he doesn't, he doesn't do well with back seats. As a matter of fact, he says, unless you lose your life, you'll never gain it. He's an all in God. He wants all or nothing. He wants to be your all or he wants to be your nothing. He doesn't share the house with anybody 
Of course, he would rather you have some of him, but you want me to validate with that scripture? Because I know some of you theologians may test me. He says, look, you're hot or cold, be one or the other. As a matter of fact, when he, talk, he was talking to a specific church and he said, you're warm, you're lukewarm, he says, I can't stand it. It turns my stomach. So what is Jesus saying this morning? Behold me as the Lamb of God. And you know what I believe? Once we get this message back in the church, Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, what I love about evangelists, and I'm not an evangelist, I'm not an evangelist uh, as you would see a normal evangelist, you know, street corners, crusades, whatever. I, I am an evangelist, but being, having that true nature of an evangelist, there's a few that I can think that are head and shoulders over me, but what I see in their meetings is this simple gospel message, but signs and wonders follow them. Because they've got the revelation that I don't, I don't have completely yet. And it's the same message over and over. I'm like, well, that's pretty easy. I have to preach a different sermon every Sunday. Just preach the same message. Signs and wonders are following. That sounds pretty easy. But they've got the revelation. They're beholding the Lamb of God. And this is why God's presence infuses their ministry. The simple gospel, we've complicated it. And we've lost our view of the Lamb. And therefore, we've lost the presence and power of God in the way that he wants to move. Come on, I wish somebody would say amen to that. Come on, stand to your feet. If we're gonna make room in our end this holiday season, in this next phase that we're walking into as it relates to what God is doing, we first have to make room in our heart. We have to make, there can be no room in the end. And here was the other revelation that God gave me, why he chose Bethlehem. It was the city of David, right? David was the man after God's own. When we become the woman, when you become the woman, when I become the man, and when you become the man that God has called you to be, that person that's after God's own heart, not after a ministry, not after a personality. We can no, we can no longer afford, afford to build our ministries on a person or charisma. It has to be built on the principles of scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. We have to open up our heart. There can be no room in your end for Jesus if you don't open your heart. You know what disturbs me the most? And I love people. I love people. I do this. I love people. <laughs> so many people that I know can quote chapter and verse. And yet, their heart is not open to Jesus. There's no room. Room in the pew, but no room in the prayer closet. Room on Sunday morning, no room throughout the week. 
this is not a condemning message. It's a message that I prayerfully, I weep over this stuff because my prayer, my ultimate goal, if I can provoke people to love Jesus more and go after him, that's my life's calling. I get no more satisfaction than, than I would seeing the presence and power of God at work in your life, at work in your marriage, at work in every area of your life. It's real, it's available, but is there room? Just because it's available doesn't mean we've made room. When you were singing that song, when you opened up to Refiner's Fire, some of those lyrics I struggled letting roll off my tongue. It's a dangerous prayer to tell the Lord to refine you. I want to be consumed. I want to be refined. Do you? Because to gain all of him, you might have to lose all of you. Is there room in your heart this morning in order to save that marriage? You might have to lose all of you. Whoever seeks his life to save it, you're going to lose it either way. <laughs> There's no way out. Whoever seeks his life to save it will lose it, but whoever loses it, whoever chooses to be refined, they find it. But it's only if you make room. Look at somebody, even if you got tears in your eyes this morning, and say, Make room. Make room. I see somebody who doesn't have anybody next to him. Talk to your own heart and say, Make room. Make room. Make room for Jesus. Make room for the Lamb of God. I've been really having honest conversations with myself lately. I used to preach my heart out as a little, as a kid. I was a teenager. And I thought I was doing it all for Jesus. I really did. I really believed that. Everything I was doing, going through the motions, I could literally, if it wasn't for my wife, I could count on one hand in 15 years how much I'd miss church. And I started finding out, even at the past couple years, much of what I was doing, it wasn't for him for me but now I'm asking him to refine me I'm asking him like David did and I love what David coined Psalms 139 it's a dangerous prayer like refiner's fire he says search me oh God and know my heart <laughs> try it and see if there's any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. The message says it like this. Investigate my life. <laughs> you want the presence of God working in your life? Let him investigate. Let him try you. Let him refine you. But you're going to have to open up your hearts in this morning. You may be saved. You may be to a degree set free, filled with the Holy Ghost. 
But I have a question this morning with every head bowed. Minister or a mundane person, is your heart open? David's gift to God was his whole heart. God's gift to the city of David was the presence of the Son of God. Do you want his presence this morning? Come on, just lift up your hands. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.